2 Peter chapter 3. And I want to read the first 11 verses in 2 Peter. And we have here just a wonderful passage of Scripture that Simon Peter gives us, that the Lord gives us through Simon Peter. And I want to begin at verse 1, as I said, read down through the 11th verse. He said, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished, or was destroyed. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that these that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? And I want to stop our reading there this evening. And our subject is there in verse 11, in light of all that Peter says, and particularly in verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come. And this is in reference unto when the Lord's going to come again. He's going to come to this earth and He's going to judge the nations. He's going to judge the lost. And He's going to come and He says in in verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. And here's our title. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So, We've all looked around and seen the things that are happening in the world today. And it's very evident that we're just approaching very close, and it seems exponentially, the time when the Lord's going to come again. And the Bible asks this question. Peter's writing unto saints. He says, what kind of people, what manner of people ought we to be? Knowing that the Lord's going to come again that He's going to come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all them that obey not the gospel of our Lord. 
what manner of people should we be? And that ought to cause us to really think as Simon Peter writes this, and again, God doesn't leave it up to us to say, well, you know, Nate, what kind of person do you think you ought to be? No, He tells us in His Word what we ought to be doing knowing this. Now I want you to notice here in verse 1, we'll give just a brief overview here of some of the verses before we get into the message. He tells us in verse 1, he said, here's the whole purpose of this three chapter book. The whole purpose that God gave us 2 Peter for. He said, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So he says, the whole purpose of this book is to stir you up based on so that you'll be mindful of what the Old Testament prophets said about the day of the Lord and that you'll be stirred up about what we the apostles of Jesus Christ, we chosen apostles that He chose us to be witnesses of these things that we were there with Him in the first members of His church and He gave us these truths and He revealed these things unto us. He says, and the commandment of us the apostles and the Lord and Savior. He said that's the whole purpose of this is to remind you and to stir you up and to be mindful. And how often, and first of all, how sad is it that we have to be reminded of what God says? Isn't that a sad thing? That we forget what the Lord says in His Word? And isn't it also here that we thank God for His mercy and grace that He does remind us, doesn't He? In fact, you look there, how many times did God repeat Himself throughout the Scriptures? There in the Old Testament. And then when Jesus was here during His earthly ministry, He said, don't don't you remember what the prophet said? Don't you remember what Moses wrote? See, they couldn't remember what was said. They had an idea and a concept, but they didn't understand it. They weren't mindful of those things. And you know, especially today, we're mindful about a lot of things, aren't we? And that word mindful means that your mind is full of these things. But our minds aren't full of Scripture, are they? We're we're concerned about the economy. We're concerned about uh, the government. We're concerned about all these things. And you know, we'd have a lot less concern about all that if we would be full of Scriptures in our minds. Because the Scriptures comfort God's people about everything. That's it. In fact, you can turn over. Let's go ahead and turn there. We'll come right back. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And the Bible gives us here in this verse, verse 4. Romans 15 and verse 4. It tells us here that the Scriptures were written for a purpose. It says, verse 4, "...for whatsoever things were written aforetime..." meaning the Old Testament, they're written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So if you need comfort anytime, but particularly, we're going to need comfort in these last days as we approach the day of the Lord. 
You're not going to find comfort in anything except God in the Scriptures. That's it. That's what they're for. That's what He gave them to us for. So Simon Peter tells us here that this is what he says, I'm stirring your minds up. That's the whole purpose of this book. And then he goes on into verse 3 and he says in 2 Peter 3 and verse 3, he said, knowing this first, he said, the first thing I want you to know is that there's going to be mockers about the coming of the Lord. And we know that. We're well aware that there are those who deride that Jesus is coming again. They make light of it. They make fun of it. I'm sure they did the same thing uh, throughout the there as Noah was building the ark. They derided and ridiculed him. Then you've got the scoffers and mockers. You know, the Bible says that no man knows today, only God knows when He's going to send forth the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet men are predicting dates. That's a form of mocking. That's a form of scoffing and deriding things. And he says, knowing this first, that there shall come the last day scoffers. And then he says, there's those who are going to be walking after their own lusts. They're going to be walking after their own lusts. They're going to be doing what their heart desires, not what God's Word says. And there's not a person here not guilty of that. Every one of us, we walk at times after our own lusts instead of, and the word lust simply means just a desire. It doesn't have to be sensual or sexual. It's just a desire. And it's usually used in a negative connotation, meaning it's something that God has forbidden. And so we're walking after things that God says, don't go after. So he says, that's the first thing you need to know. And he breaks it down into verse 4. And you know the story here. He says, there will be those who say, where is the promise of His coming? Say, look, everything's just keep going the way it's been going. Nothing's changed. And Peter says, they're ignorant. And some are willfully ignorant. That the world is not the way it was since God created it. And he says, because one day God overflowed everything there was with water. And He destroyed it. And then he tells us in verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now the current ones, the ones that you and I have right now that we live in and that have been since Noah got off the ark, he said he has reserved them that he's going to destroy them with fire one day. And if you have to deal with any of these uh, false people, these false teachers, and these nut jobs that talk about global warming, this is your answer right here. That God is reserving the heaven and the earth and He is going to destroy it with fire from Him, not with some glaciers melting or getting too close to the sun or any of that nonsense. This is our answer to that. And then people say, well, they don't accept the Scriptures. That's their problem. That's the only thing that God has ever given His people is the Word of God. And the problem with most of these people is they're lost and the only thing that's going to convert them to the truth is the Word of God. So you don't need to look up a bunch of science articles and explain stuff to people. They need to be saved. That's what they need. 
He goes on and he says that the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. That simply means that time has no bearing on God. It doesn't mean that, well, if God said that something's going to be a thousand years, that means it's only going to be a day. No, that's not what that's teaching us. It's saying that time has no bearing on God. You know, yesterday, or 6,000 years when God created the heavens and the earth, is the same as today for Him. It, it, he doesn't change. Time is a human thing, isn't it? So as he comes down here to these verses, he then asks the question. And he asks this question, it's something we ought to ask of ourselves, since all these things, all this, is to be dissolved or destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought ye and I to be in the meantime? Until the Lord comes, and until the day of the Lord happens, how ought we to conduct ourselves? I want you to look back into verse 2 of 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to follow the outline that the Holy Spirit gave us through Simon Peter. He says, now I wrote this epistle to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye, verse 2, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. So Simon Peter says, you need to go look at what the prophets said about it. Well, let's go look and see what the prophets said about it. Turn over to the book of Joel. The book of Joel, chapter 2. And I want you to observe here, we're going to read several verses here this evening, and we'll note again, and our question is, what kind of people ought we to be? And really, we can ask ourselves, what kind of person ought I to be? You know, sometimes we concern ourselves, well, that person there, they're not the kind of person they ought to be. And the problem is we've got the moat or the beam in our eye and we're trying to get the moat out of somebody else's eye. And we're not the kind of person that God says we're to be. And so as we look at this in Joel chapter 2, and in verse 1, Joel writing, he says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. So, right away, we know that Joel and Peter are talking about the same thing, aren't they? Peter said the day of the Lord, he's making a reference when the Lord will come again, and Joel is writing about it. He says, for it is nigh at hand. Boy, it certainly is, isn't it? The phrase nigh at hand simply means it's on the other side of the door. He says in verse 2, he begins to describe the day of the Lord. He says a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, Neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. He said, what's going to come about 
has never taken place before and will never take place after it. It's going to be a new thing. In verse 3, he says, A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land has the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. Essentially, they're going to have that scorched earth policy. They're going to come through and he says, it's going to be like the Garden of Eden before. It's going to be paradise for them. But when that army passes over the land, you know what's going to be there? Ash. It's going to just be burnt up. Verse 4, the appearance of them is as the appearance of horses and as horsemen, so shall they run. Verse 5, like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pain. All faces shall be gather, shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. They shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path. When they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. Isn't that an amazing thing? That this army that's going to come and this day that the Bible says they're not going to break ranks, they're not going to flee, they're just going to keep marching and keep marching and if they get wounded or fall on a sword, which is an expression of death, guess what? They're not going to be wounded. They should be, but they won't be. Verse 9, they shall run to and fro in the city, they shall run upon the wall, they shall climb up Upon the houses they shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun, the moon shall be dark. And the stars shall withdraw from their shining. And the Lord shall utter His voice before His army. For His camp is very great. For He is strong that it executeth His word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? That's a rhetorical question because nobody can. So God here tells us and He lists out and He says, here's what it's going to be like. Simon Peter simply put it that God's reserved it by His Word unto consumption by fire. Joel gives us a really great detail, doesn't he? And then in verse 12, as we answer the question, so this is what the day of the Lord is going to be like. So the question is, what kind of person am I to be knowing this is coming? Remember Simon Peter said, we read it there in 2 Peter chapter 3, he said, the day of the Lord will come. Let's not live this life that we're currently living as if it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. Don't, don't be ignorant, the Bible tells us. Don't be deceived, the Scripture tells us. And you know, there's a lot of things that are happening today and in our land that some of us would probably have said, I'd have never thought that would happen. I'd have never thought, not here. I get it over in Russia and in China and North Korea, Cuba, places like that, but not here. I got news for you. This in Joel is far worse than anything that's happening today. Far worse. And the Scripture tells us here, as we examine this, what kind of person ought we to be? Well, again, what do the prophets say? Well, let's read verse 12. Therefore, 
Remember what the word therefore means? It means because of everything that was written before this. Because of everything that Joel just said previously in the first 11 verses of the second chapter, therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. So what kind of person ought I to be knowing that the day of the Lord is coming? I ought to repent. I ought to be somebody who is repenting of my sin. That's the first thing. Now that's not the common of what's being preached today in many churches. A lot of people are told to pray a prayer, to cross a line, to make a decision, to repeat after me, whatever. That's not what God says anywhere in His Word. He said, you need to turn unto Me. You need to turn ye even to Me with all your heart. That means that they're facing away from God and they need to turn to Him. And this is a wonderful description of what it is to repent. And everyone here who's saved by the grace of God who has repented of their sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, knows what it is to repent. It's to turn from our sinful ways, to forsake them, and turn to God. So what kind of person ought I to be? I ought to be one who's repenting. I ought to be one who's seeking the favor of God. Now the kind of repentance that Joel tells us we ought to have is the kind where he says, Turn ye even to me with all your heart. He describes it with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. And rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God. You see, the Bible tells us here in Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, that God is not interested in a mere outward repentance. That's, you know, that's the kind of Stuff you see and you deal with with a lot of people, isn't it? Oh, they're sorry. They're sorry they got caught, but they're not sorry they did it. That's the kind of nonsense that many people offer unto the Lord is it's an outward show, but no inward reality. He says, I want you to have a turn ye to me with all your heart. The Bible tells us here in this verse, as we examine it, and we look at this, and we see, rend your heart, not your garments. You know, in the Old Testament, even in the days of Christ, they would tear their clothes as a sign of remorse. They would put dust in, and it, they would dress up in, in uh, uh, cloth, and they would put dust on themselves. It was supposed to be a sign of repentance. But inwardly, they didn't have any. There's a lot of people like that. Maybe you're like that. I've been like that. Had an outward show of repentance, but really wasn't sorrowful over my sin. The Bible tells us as we examine these things, and, and we find, he says in, in the, these verses, and he says in verse 14, Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meal offering or a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Now notice verse 15. He says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Now if you remember, 
We said over in verse 1 of chapter 2 that God told him to blow. He said, blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm. Why? Because danger is coming. Just like here in the community here, we had the tornado siren. Whenever uh, there would be one spotted, they would sound the alarm. And it was a sound to take shelter immediately. And God says in verse 12, because of the day of the Lord is coming, because you need to take shelter immediately, because the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? He says in verse 12, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me. And in verse 15, Blow the trumpet. <clears throat> the trumpet is a signal or a sign of calling people to, their, to attention. Just like a town crier would run through the town ringing a bell or something to get everybody's attention. Just like in the day of war and battle, they would use horns to sound out what people were to do in the army. He says, I want you to blow the trumpet. Well, you know, because the day of the Lord is great and very terrible and who can abide it, His church ought to be sounding the trumpet. We ought to be blowing the trumpet telling everyone, as the Bible says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call in a solemn assembly. Why? Because we need to tell people to repent. We need to do like Jonah did when he finally got to Nineveh and he preached what? Repentance three days in the city of Nineveh. And guess what? They repented, didn't they? This here is a call to repentance. Look over in the book of Acts. We'll come back to Joel here directly. But look over in Acts chapter 3. The book of Acts chapter 3. What kind of person ought I to be? Well, I need to repent. You might say, well, you know, I've, I'm already saved. What do I need to repent about? Well, I'm sure we can find something. I'm sure we've got some sins and some failures. We're not serving the Lord like we ought to be. You know, in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, Daniel was one of those children of Israel that was carried away in captivity. He was the one who spent 70 years in Babylon. About most people know about Daniel. He was in a lion's den. Well, he was, he was in a den of lions is what he was in, not a lion's den. Say, so what's the difference? Well, one has lions in it and one doesn't. But he was there, and you can read it. By memory serves, it's in chapter 9. He made a confession to God. You know what Daniel said when he confessed? He didn't say, God, Israel has sinned. He said, no, we've sinned. He took part in the national sins of Israel. Say, well, he didn't do them, but he was one of those people, wouldn't he? And the same thing is true with us in the world, in our nation, in our state. We have things that as a member of this nation, we're guilty of. And we need to repent of them. Look here in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 again, we're to blow a trumpet. He said, Acts 3 verse 19, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Remember, now what Simon Peter said? 
We read in our text, he said, I'm going to stir your minds up about two things. What the prophets said and what we, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, commanded you. And what we find here in Acts chapter 3, we find Peter preaching and what did he tell him? He said, repent. You need to repent. Look over in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Here again, Paul preaching on Mars Hill, that wonderful sermon. And these well-known words in Acts 17 and verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He commands all men, without exception, to repent of their sins. Why? Verse 31. Because He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, and then hath raised Him from the dead. The empty tomb of Jesus Christ is our assurance from God that He's going to judge this earth. And so every one of us here has been assured that He's going to judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. That's the standard. If you don't have the same righteousness as Jesus Christ, you're in a world of hurt. Put it mildly, or put it frankly, you're going to hell. You are going to be consumed by the judgment and wrath of Almighty God. You might be a church member. You might be baptized. You might be in a ministry. You might do a whole lot of things. But unless you've repented of your sins and had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be judged of God in this fashion. So he says, I want you to blow the trumpet. Look over in 2 Peter chapter 3. Again, we just see all of these things lining up. Peter says, what do prophets say? He said, what did we the apostles say? And here in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, again in reference unto the Lord's day, he says, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I know why God hasn't come yet. That you might come to repentance and be saved. I tell you, God's merciful unto His people. And this is our message. The Lord's church message is to repent. I know a lot of people got a lot of messages. They got a lot of things they're saying. And they got a lot of ways they're saying it. But the Bible says we're to preach repentance unto the nations. You read that in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47. You see, God warns men, women, boys, and girls to repent and to turn from their evil ways and their evil thoughts that stir up His wrath. Now this repentance, as we already indicated back in Joel, is to be more than an outward religious show. More than an outward religious show. He tells them here, I want you to rend your heart. The word rend means to tear open. We know this is not a literal, physical thing to do. You can't literally tear open. I mean, you can. You're not going to live very long. But this is a a spiritual application of this. He said, rend your heart 
and not your garments. Again, don't just do it outwardly, but do it inwardly. Put off all of the fake and have real, genuine, broken and contrite heart which God will not deny. Presently, folks turn away from God and they need to be turned to Him. The Bible tells us, as we look here in verse 13, it says, and turn unto the Lord your God. You know, a lot of people, they'll be broken hearted over some and still not turn to God. And that wasn't that the case with Cain? He was broken over murdering his brother, but he didn't turn to God. Esau was upset about losing his birthright, but he didn't turn to God. Judas was upset about betraying the Lord, but he didn't turn to God. Only people are upset about a lot of things in their life, and they never turn to God. No, we have to forsake these things and look to the Lord and turn to Him. Look in verse 13 of Joel chapter 2. Why should we turn to God? Well, the Bible tells us, it says, for He is gracious. About halfway through the verse, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth Him of the evil. That phrase, repenteth Him of the evil, simply means He won't do the things that He said He would do if we don't repent. He's not going to execute these horrible, horrific things upon you if you repent. His wrath will be stayed upon you. You see, God pronounced and He's going to carry out the coming judgment. But those who turn to Him with repentance, with real, genuine repentance, He's going to forgive. Why? Because He's merciful and He's gracious and He, as the Bible puts it here, He is slow to anger and of great kindness. You want to know why God hasn't consumed us yet? Because He's slow to anger, or as Simon Peter put it in 2 Peter 2.3, He is long-suffering. means He suffers a long time. He's not like you and me. We want to nip things in the bud just like if something comes up, oh, let's take care of it right now. Oh God, He's so long-suffering. If you're here tonight and you're saved, God has suffered with your sins until the day He saved you. If you're here and you're not saved, He's still suffering you that you might be brought unto the day of repentance. Don't take this for granted. Don't take His merciful graciousness for granted. A lot of people do that. I know children of God say, well, it's okay if I commit this sin because, you know, God, He'll just forgive me. I mean, that's tantamount to, I mean, that's like what the Catholic Church does with their confessional. You just, oh, just go say ten, ten prayers and you're, it's, it don't matter that you sinned. Just go ahead and, and you just go in the box here and Say some our fathers and Hail Marys and it's all taken care of. Don't take God's mercy for granted. Today we hear people say, well, God accepts, accepts me just as I am. That's because you can't make yourself better. You can't improve upon yourself. He has to accept you as you are. 
But He doesn't leave you that way. He changes us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. See, we're not good enough to be accepted by God, are we? It's kind of like that hymn, Just As I Am. If people would finish reading the song, it says, Just As I Am, O Lord, I Come. See, they don't come to Him, do they? They say, Oh, God accepts me just like I am, but they don't come to Him that they might be forgiven. They don't look to the Lamb of God that they might be washed from their sins. They don't turn to Him. They take His mercy for granted. See, there's no reason not to come to God and repent. Listen, listen to this description. You ever do something wrong as a child? I'm sure you have. If you didn't, man. You ever do something wrong and you, I want to tell my dad. I want to tell my mom. Look at the attributes of God Almighty. For He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth Him of the evil. And doesn't that just describe our God and Savior? That's what He is. That He will, if we come to Him and repent, He'll receive us. Look over in the Gospel of Luke for just a minute in this wonderful teaching of the Lord, Luke chapter 15. I know you're familiar with it. Here we have the story of the, the lost son or the prodigal son. There was no reason for him to leave his father, was there? So there's no reason for you and I to leave and depart from God, is there? But we do. But you know the reason why the prodigal son returned unto the Lord or unto his father? Notice verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called his son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He didn't go and return to the father and say, I'm such a good son, and because I'm your son, you ought to receive me. No. He said every reason for returning to his father was where? In the father. That's it. And the only reason there is to turn to the heavenly father through Jesus Christ is because he is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. That's it. There's no other reason to turn to him. And nobody else is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, are they? There's none like him. of great kindness. See, God is ready to pardon. Now look over to Joel chapter 2. And we find here in the 14th verse, again, what kind of person ought I to be? Ought to be one who's repenting. If you're lost, you need to repent that you might be saved. If you're saved, you need to repent of the things that you've left off doing because the day of the Lord is coming. And the day of the Lord encompasses everything from the rapture on. Our judgment, the judgment of the lost, all of that, that's all included in that. Verse 14, Who knoweth if he will return and repent 
and leave a blessing behind him. What this verse 14, what it is saying is simply this. We have no hope but God. We have no hope but God. There's nothing I can do to stay His wrath, to keep Him from the great and very terrible day that's coming. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing you can do. There's no government official we can elect. There's no peace accord we can do. There's no economic thing that can be done. There's no amendment that can be upheld or a new one written that is going to stop the day of the Lord, the great and variable day from, uh, very terrible day from coming. The only thing we can do is repent and turn to Him. That's it. That's our only hope. That God would be merciful and gracious and pardon and forgive us. It is to throw ourselves down at His feet as guilty and plead for mercy. Folks, you're in the electric chair and the governor's got his hand on the switch. And all you can do is beg for mercy because we're guilty. That's what he's saying. That's what the prophet is saying. We just got to plead mercy. Plead for real, genuine mercy. Remember those two thieves on the cross? Remember how at one point they both gnashed on the Lord Jesus and, oh, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. You know what happened a little later on? The one thief, what did he do? He repented, didn't he? He said, we deserve to be up here, but this man hath done nothing amiss. He hadn't done anything wrong. Oh, we're guilty. We're malefactors. That's how you need to come to Christ. Guilty. Not, well, I'm a sinner, and you know, but it's, you know, I, I wasn't real bad. No, you deserve hell, fire, and brimstone. That's what we deserve. And we don't deserve anything but that. And it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And the only thing that needs to be and can be done is to repent of our sins. That's it. God said this is the only thing to do. It's the first thing to do. You can do everything else. We're going if if y'all want me to preach Sunday, I'll keep going into this third chapter and we'll note some other things that ought to be done, but this is the first thing. Because you can dress it up and it still be a sinner. But if there's real genuine repentance, it'll be a new creation in Christ Jesus, won't it? Now I want you to observe here. We keep looking here and what the prophet said. We'll just finish up these last few verses here this evening. He said, I want you to blow the trumpet in Zion. Verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Verse 16, gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breast or those who are nursing. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber. That means let the groom, the groom who's in the wedding chamber getting ready for his wedding and the bride who's in her closet getting ready for her wedding. He says, all of you need to stop what you're doing. You need to stop right now because the most important thing is this. That the day of the Lord is coming and we need to repent. That trumps everything that there is. 
How many people you know say, well, let me do this first and then, and then I'll deal with religion or I'll deal with God. That's not what God says. You look at these words here and remember, what did Simon Peter reference in 2 Peter 3? What did he reference? He referenced the flood, didn't he? Well, just look over in Matthew chapter 24 for just a second. We'll come right back to Joel. Look over to Matthew chapter 24. What kind of person ought I to be? I ought to be one who has genuine repentance. You know, the Bible says the goodness of God leads you to repentance. If you're here tonight and saved, you didn't know you needed to repent until somebody told you you needed to repent. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the same thing with David when he had sinned against God? He was saved and he sinned against God and murdering Uriah the Hittite and taking his wife Bathsheba and committing adultery with her. And well, how did David know he needed to repent? Because he sent him Nathan the prophet and he preached repentance unto him. You read that in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Here in Matthew chapter 24, we said Simon Peter, he referenced the flood, right? What Joel referenced? He referenced the bride and the grooms, didn't he? Well, let's read Matthew 24. Here the Lord says, verse 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, Simon Peter referenced the days of Noah, didn't he? The flood? He said, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Isn't that exactly what Peter described? And what Joel said. He said, hey, those of you who are about to get married, big event, important event, not saying you shouldn't get married, you need to come out here and you need to take care of repentance first. This is the most important thing in all the world is that you repent. You moms and dads, those of you who are nursing, bring the little children out here with you. I don't want to hear any excuse about, well, i got little kids and I can't bring them. No, they need to come and hear the Word of God. He said, I want you to blow the trumpet there in verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Why? Because we need to seek the mercy of God. That's why. Now, in the last two years, the world's been turned upside down in a lot of ways. Whether you believe in a pandemic or a scamdemic, either way, we need to seek the Lord. Because if it's a pandemic and there's a global pandemic of a disease, we need to seek the Lord. And if it's a scamdemic and people are using it, or if it's both and people are using it to further their own agenda, an anti-God agenda, because that's all government ever does, then we better seek the Lord. How many people you know called for a fast? How many leaders of our nation say, you know, we need to seek the Lord's face? Our great governor down there in Florida, everybody loves. You know what he did? He took credit for everything. Not once did he thank God. Not once did he seek God's mercy. How I many of you know, ask the people of the Lord to pray and fast 
which means to afflict yourself. To go without something that we might afflict our souls and seek Him. To call a solemn assembly. How many special services were had by God's people to seek His face? You see, we're not mindful of what the prophets said, are we? Myself included. I didn't do any of that. There's something I need to repent of right there. Verse 17, Let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord. Give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Well, we know where our God is. He sitteth in the heavens and He doeth whatsoever He pleases Him. That's, what he, that's where He's at. But the problem was here in the book of Joel, in the day of Joel, and the same thing may happen to you, is that we don't act like God is sitting on the right hand of the Father, that God is on His throne. We act like a bunch of people who are worried and scared as if God's not in control of things. And don't take His sovereignty for granted either. A lot of people do that. Oh, God's in control. I have no responsibility whatsoever. He, he's in control. Well, He is in control. And God says, this is what kind of person my people need to be knowing that I'm coming in this way. Say, well, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be raptured out. If you're saved, you will be. He still said, this is the kind of people you ought to be, didn't He? He didn't say in 2 Peter, well, what kind of people ought you be? It doesn't matter because you're going to be raptured out before this happens. That's not what He said, is it? He said, I want you to go look at what the prophets say and I want you to observe what they say and I want you to observe what the apostles said. I want you to do what God's Word says. What's the first thing? Repent. Isn't that always the first thing? Isn't that always the first thing? We need to repent, don't we? Well, I'll tell you what, we need to get prepared for His coming. People say, well, we're worried about this and that and the other thing. You ought to be worried about the Lord coming again. And I don't mean worry. If you're lost, you ought to be worried about it. If you're saved, we still need to prepare, don't we? Isn't that what the prophet Amos said? Prepare to meet thy God. You're going to stand before Him one day. Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to repent. He says there in verse 17, Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare thy people. You know who the priests are? Every single child of God is a priest. Every one of us who are saved, we're all believer priests. That's what Peter taught in 2 Peter. That's what we came here tonight to do as believers is to offer spiritual sacrifices unto Him. We come into His house, which is His church, is His house in this day and age that we live in, and we come here to worship Him, to praise Him, to sing psalms and praise unto Him, to hear His Word, that our lives might be conformed to the image of Christ, conformed to His Word. We're here to worship Him and to offer those things unto Him. The Old Testament priests, they came in and they offered bulls and goats and bullocks and all manner of animals. They slew them, didn't they? According to the Word of God. Well, God says, 
as New Testament believer priests, you're to offer the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. So we come here tonight. That's what we came here to Why? Because we're all priests. So what should we do as believer priests in the day of the Lord? We ought to be here saying, Spare thy people, O Lord. It doesn't say, Spare the lost, does it? It says, Spare thy people. Have mercy on us, O Lord. You read the Old Testament. How many times did God's people seek for Him to have mercy on them? See, sometimes we think mercy is only for the lost. Well, spare thy people, O Lord. So the first thing we need to do, knowing that the day of the Lord is coming, is we need to repent. That's the first thing. That's the most important thing. If you're here and lost, you need to repent. The Bible says, except you repent, you'll likewise perish. You're going to perish. You're going to be destroyed. Because you didn't repent of your sins. You didn't turn to God. If you didn't turn to God, you know what you're looking at? You're looking at your own works and saying, look, look at what I did. God will accept me because I'm such a good person. Because I went to church. Because I didn't kill anybody. Because I read my Bible. Because I did this. You know, years ago I went to Sunday school. You know, I went to one of the Lord's churches. My, my dad's in the ministry. My grandpa's in the ministry. Whatever. Oh, blah, blah, blah. No. That will not do. You need to repent of your sins. And if you're a member of His church, you need to be sounding the alarm to others. Verse 15, you need to be blowing the trumpet. You need to tell your neighbors. We need to tell our friends, our acquaintances, our co-workers that they need to repent. They won't be my friends anymore. That doesn't matter. Because our chief friend, Jesus, has sent us to blow the trumpet. you imagine if somebody never told you to repent? Where would you be right now? You wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. you imagine if somebody was worried about telling you that you need to repent? We shouldn't be worried about that. That's a... That's a, Satan, again, whether it's a pandemic or a scandemic, he has got people not looking here at the Lord and what we're doing and looking here. How many times you looked up an article about COVID? Now how many times you told somebody they need to repent? A lot different, isn't it? Not the same, is it? So, just take that into consideration. I'm not saying you shouldn't be worried about these things. That's, that is not what I'm saying at all. Well, our chief concern ought to be the Lord's coming again. Are you ready? Are you ready for Him to come? Whether you're ready or not, He's coming. He is going to come. And as Joel said, it is a great and very terrible day. Who can abide it? You know who can abide it? Those who have repented and trusted in Christ who are safe in the person of Jesus. That's it. They're the only ones who are going to be safe. Why? Because Jesus already paid their sin debt at Calvary. So there is no wrath on those who are saved. No wrath at all. So as we draw closer, and we draw closer with every single breath, we need to repent. So I pray the Lord will bless His message.